0: This episode of the High Impact Man podcast, we feature Eric Nowak, otherwise known as a gobbler to those in F3 Nation. He's the nation's weasel shaker. He's a captain in the Army, now in the Reserve, 16 years of active duty. Uh, He is just an all-around high-impact man trying to lead his family well and succeeding. And I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast because he talks a lot about uh, leadership and what it means to be a weasel shaker.
1: Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast, high impact men from across the nation, sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships.
0: What you're hearing from the culture is not right, pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes
1: is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be, and that our nation desperately needs.
0: All right, here we go with another episode of the High Impact Man podcast. We definitely have a High Impact Man on the episode today. It's Eric Nowak, otherwise known as Gobbler. He's the weasel shaker for F3 Nation. Uh, For any of my listeners out there that don't know what F3 is, it stands for Fitness, Fellowship, and Faith. And uh, we basically get together, usually in the early morning hours, we call the gloom. And one of the rules is we have to do it outside, and we work out. And uh, workouts can vary, but for the most part, they're sort of boot camp-style workouts. Uh, but they can vary into lifting things and uh, running and things like that and but the mission is to invigorate male community leadership so our mission statement is to plant grow and serve male workout groups for the invigoration of male community leadership and so it's a leadership development program and uh, our guest today uh, certainly has some experience in that regard 16 years in, in active duty service and still in the reserves uh, and just an, a high impact man he's coming to us from, uh, the Northwest, so uh, he's three t- three time zones away, and he's uh, given us his time tonight, uh, and uh, we're excited to to have him on. Uh, my name is Nevin Gorky. I uh, host the podcast. Uh, my F three <coughs> name is D Fib, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Troy Klinger, otherwise known as Dial Up. And so, Dial Up, uh, your daughter at Lock Haven University just recently ran in the PSEC uh, race for the finals for the uh, for the conference, right?
1: Well, yeah. So, PSACs was two weeks ago. This weekend was the NCAA, oh, the regionals. Yeah, the regionals, regionals right? The Atlantic right. regionals, right?
0: They qualified in the PSACs to get to regionals.
1: Yeah, everybody gets like everybody in the in the region gets to compete, but uh,
0: I'll, you, I'll, so I'm over for two. You
1: got the basic concept down, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tell everybody how she did.
1: She did really well. So she finished sixth overall, um, which is which was great. It actually would have earned her an individual spot to go to the national meet, but uh, the real important thing was that the team qualified uh they had a really good uh, really good season um all the kids ran re- really well uh and uh, yeah they pulled it off top three teams in each region uh earn an automatic qualifying spot to go to the national meet which is in in seattle technically it's in tacoma uh next uh not this coming friday but the next friday
0: yeah, so you'll be heading out to the Great Northwest. Yeah,
1: so I had to book some plane tickets and uh, kind of coordinating some housing to, to go out. We might have a couple couple folks hanging out with us, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I've never been out to that part of the of the country, and uh, just it's going to be a great experience to go and cheer the kids on, give yeah. them some support that yeah, well, far we'll, away from home.
0: We'll talk to Gobbler about what it's like out there and yeah. some places you could post downrange out there, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because I know... See, I, the reason I'm, I'm having Dial-Up tell the story is because uh because he is her dad and her coach and <laughs> everything that she went through in cross country in college recently
1: yeah so yeah it was a really special day and i, I told a couple guys the story like there's 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 nothing better as a dad than your kid running and jumping into your arms and giving you the biggest hug you could ever imagine as she's literally bawling tears of joy and happiness um for for meeting such a big goal, it's been a goal of her since she was a freshman there and starting college to to get the nationals, and and she really wanted to get there to the nationals as a team, not just not just as an individual. Um, so it was a huge goal for her, and unfortunately, the path uh, through college was not uh, ideal. You know, you had this kind of vision, going to go there as a freshman, and every year you're going to get a little better, a little better, a little better, and get the nationals, right? But yeah. instead, it was uh, filled with. Uh, you know, a reoccurring ankle injury during some training where she rolled her ankle again and re-aggravated a, a high school injury that led to some, some reconstruction reconstructive surgery on her ankle. Um, post-op, she ends up with uh, a blood clot, which is like, you know, 0.01% of the population post-surgery gets that. She ends up on blood thinners, um, starts recovering and getting back into good shape, and she starts having abdominal pain, and here she had developed this huge ovarian cyst from the blood thinners, Mm-hmm. And it just went on and on. And then she got COVID, had a bunch of complications from that. And so it's just been this, you know, real struggle um, with her, with her uh, time at college. But she, she persevered through it all. And it makes you so proud as a parent to see your kid persevere and overcome so many obstacles and ultimately achieve that huge goal that she had for herself and for the team. So it was a, it was a really, really great day. And like I said, I, I told her, I said, I will remember that hug. After the race, for the rest of my life, because it was a pretty, pretty special day and a pretty special, big hug yeah. from your kiddo.
0: Now, I know this this uh, episode is is uh, about Gobbler coming on and tell a story, but I really wanted to make sure you got to get this, uh, got to tell everybody that because it's a story of perseverance and and a testimony to you and uh, your wife and uh, and how you helped helped raise her, never quit, you know that yeah. kind of stuff. And obviously, she's got some talent as a runner.
1: Yep, she so. does. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and that's I told her. I said, you know, your finish is is great but your perseverance is what we're most proud of, you know, how you stuck with it and really just overcame so many, so many setbacks. Most kids would have just said, Hey, maybe this running thing's not for me and quit. And, uh, that was never, never an option for her. Like she, quitting's not an option. She had her eye on the prize and, uh, she went after and got
0: it. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, today's guest, um, as we said, is a high impact man. Uh, he's going to tell a story. Uh, but I want to put this in, in, uh, perspective as far as chron- chronology is, is episode dropping we're recording this the Monday before Thanksgiving and so but this episode pl- probably won't drop for for two or three weeks but so bear that in mind as we talk about this because uh our guest Gobbler comes up with a something called the Gobbler Challenge uh every year for Thanksgiving so we'll talk a little bit about that obviously this is going to be before the Gobbler Challenge so just bear that in mind as we go through this <laughs> so Gobbler welcome to the podcast
2: yes thank you so you you're, you're or uh, you're coming out here to Tacoma. Is the race in University Place at Chambers Creek? Uh, it's
1: it's, it, it's, a, it's on like the Chambers Creek Golf
2: Course, I guess. Yeah, we have an AO right at the golf course. Oh,
1: do you really? Oh, there there it go. is. All I right,
2: that's where I'll be tomorrow morning. Like you're, you are literally like four miles from my house.
1: Yeah, I haven't we haven't decided where we're going to stay. Whether we're going to stay up in Seattle or whether we're going to come down to Tacoma. Um,
2: so, so you don't want to stay in Seattle?
1: Okay, so Tacoma it is.
2: And the bottom line is it will take you over an hour to maybe three hours to make that drive.
1: Seriously. Wow.
2: So yeah, you would be better off staying. If you want a nice hotel, you can stay in the Marriott in downtown. Okay. Um, I'm biased. My company built that hotel, um, <laughs> but that's a point. Uh, we, that's a different sidetrack, but yeah, there's uh yeah, you, you don't want to go. Um, there's not a lot of hotels around. In fact, when the PGA had the uh, uh, PGA championship there in 2015, a lot of people just had to use Airbnbs around the golf course.
1: Yeah, we were we we were looking into that as well as an option because we might have a couple of the kids might come out and uh, it might crash with us. We might kind of have a couple other families as well, so we might look for a for a house with a couple rooms and stay in. But uh, yeah, I'll look you up. We're going to fly out on Tuesday. This will be um, you know next not this uh, Tuesday. Obviously, that's tomorrow. Next Tuesday, we're going to fly out, and then uh, we'll be there till Saturday. So. Definitely look yeah. to uh, post a couple times because I'm going to be wide awake, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> like five o'clock is going to be right. Eight o'clock. You yeah. know, here, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> getting up bright and early. <laughs> You'll be going to sleep at five. <laughs> the at return, night. the return trip and then getting up when we get back here is going to be the tough part.
0: Yeah.
2: It's a long we'll flight. We'll take care of you.
1: All right.
0: Nice. Well, that's cool. See, there are no coincidences. Yeah. How about it?
1: Worked yeah. out. Perfect timing to have them on yeah. this week.
0: Very cool. So, Gobbler, you know, we, are, everyone, we everybody has to tell us how they got involved with F3, who h you, and how would you get your name? So, uh, why don't you tell us that?
2: Uh, I have a rather unique EH story. Uh, so, I was living in Pittsburgh, and I had just returned from a six-month deployment to Qatar. And um, my wife at the time, uh, we'll get into it, but we're now divorced. I, when I came back, she had uh, changed churches and had met... Um, couple women and one of the guys that, you know, was talking about this workout group that they're going to start. And so she recommended that I look into it. Um, and so I went to a pre-launch workout at the, the church and then that was in uh, April 2017, early April. And then I was there on launch day for Pittsburgh in late April 2017. So that's so been, how I got.
0: Yeah, so like five years, huh?
2: Yes, five and a
1: half years now. And so, well, that was their original launch for what is is like is now their F3 Pittsburgh region. Then like that was the original. Cool.
2: Yeah. So, we how'd you launched, get Gobbler? Launched like the last week of April at North Park. A couple guys came up from the Carolinas.
1: Oh, That's nice. awesome. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, how'd you get Gobbler? Um. So, their Fiat was trying to name me Bunny um, <laughs> because he said I run fast, which. I, I don't, but um, I guess I ran faster than other people. Uh, but we had another guy, Barak, I believe it was um, He So this was with, under the old LEAP model, for those who are familiar with the LEAP, where they would send a couple people for six weeks out to your location and would lead your workouts for six weeks, and then you would take over after that. And he was there with Stone Cold, I believe, the first week. And so Barakas was from, uh went to Virginia Tech. And so, when he found out that I had gone to Virginia Tech, oh, okay. Virginia Tech Hokies Gobbler was an old name for the football team back in the 1920s. So. Right. Uh-huh.
0: And that's why their mascot's a turkey.
1: Yep.
2: That would be the, it is the Hokie Bird, it is not the turkey. <laughs> All right, it's a Hokie Bird. <laughs>
1: the old question of what is a Hokie, right? What is a Hokie, yeah.
2: yeah. It is a friend or alumnus or supporter of Virginia Tech.
0: There you go. Very nice. Well, that's cool. So, um... Just to back up a little bit, where, tell us where you, is that, did you grow up in Pennsylvania or is that, you went there to, cause you met your wife? Where'd you grow up and what was that like?
2: Um, so I grew up, uh, outside of Martinsburg, West Virginia. So for those of you who are geographically, uh, challenged, that is about an hour and a half west of DC right along interstate 81.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 81 goes right past us. So. Yeah. And I, I know I've seen the exit for right as I've driven down 81. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's part of West Virginia.
0: Okay. There it is. <laughs> Showing us on his hand. Yeah, that's cool. So what, what was it like growing up there?
2: Um, so I grew up, my my father bought a farm in 1983, um, 40 acres of land. Interest rates were like 17%. Um, and so he was full-time farmer at that time. And uh, he had been fired from his orchard management job. And so um, I was born in 1980. Uh, so we moved on a farm. Lived in a trailer, a uh, single-wide trailer, from until I was 14. Um, and my mom actually went full-time on the farm in 1988. And so that is uh, – we did fruits and vegetables. We made made our full, full living from farming um, up until just recently. Well, actually, my parents – my mom is still doing it. My dad is unable to participate in farming activities due to his illness. Uh, but they're still – they're still doing it. Um, from when I was six weeks old, they did farming, and like I said, they bought the farm in nineteen eighty three. I uh, worked eighty hours a week during the summer, and that's growing up. Was um, everything revolved around the cyclical cycle of agriculture? Yeah, um, we, we produced everything, and then we sold everything in Winchester, just over the state line. Um, did market three days a week, um, pruning, picking, you name it, we did it all. Wow. So, that doesn't leave a lot of
0: time for sports and stuff like that. Did you get involved with sports when you were in school?
2: No, I was not involved in sports. Uh, neither was my older brother. My younger brother did wrestling. Uh, he wore my parents down. Um, yeah. I did the ac- academic team in the winter time because uh, that was what we had time for. Right.
1: So. Yeah, that's hard work. Get Classic to, younger child gets the yeah gets to do the stuff, right? Yeah, but none of the other kids. Well, got you to
0: know, do. the younger child means the parents get older. They start getting, you know, it's like whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
2: They get tired. They wear down. Yeah,
0: that's why. That's why you're supposed to have kids when you're young, not when you're you know. Right. Yeah. Older, you just don't have the energy to raise those darn kids. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, um, so you went to Virginia Tech. What, what, yes. did, you, what did you study at Virginia Tech?
2: Uh, bachelor's in horticulture.
0: Oh, of course. Okay. Were you planning on going back to to work the farm or have your own farm?
2: It was complicated. Oh, um, okay. Initially, uh, when I was a freshman, it was definitely a possibility. Um, and then by the time I graduated, um, I had decided I didn't want to, um, and that caused quite a bit of, uh, conflict or consternation with my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was a period there where, you know, I was living and working on the farm, but you know, I had made it known that, that this isn't what I wanted to do long term. Um, yeah. So.
0: Yeah. That's, that's tough. That's tough. Um, kind of not not a wedge, but that's gonna that'd be difficult when your dad's uh, not approving of it, right? Yeah,
2: yeah uh, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a constant point of issue, of, you know, of just conflict uh, yeah. through my, you know, from t- till, t- well, really for into my thirties, um, maybe even almost forty. You know, it was. Uh, um. He can't um, articulate anything now, but I would say all the way up until then was, you know, it never really left.
0: Yeah, that's tough. So, but you ended up uh, with, a, with a, basically a career in the military. What made you go
2: that route? So, uh, I got married in late 2005, and uh, we bought a house, and it was obvious um, that... I needed more money than just I was still working at my, I was working at my parents' place, but I needed to do something. And so I ran into this uh, recruiter in the gym. And so back up a little bit, I had been in the core cadets at Virginia Tech for four years. I did cadet only. I did not, I considered commissioning at that time, but I didn't. And so, you know, 2005, newly married, you know, dealing with all the newly married problems. Neither of us really had permanent jobs. And so this guy approached me and said, hey, you want to join the National Guard? I say, why would I want to do that? He goes, well, we're giving out $20,000. I said, that's a good reason. <laughs> um, so I enlisted at that time in the National Guard, and that was uh, in 06. And then uh, I did that for about two years. And then um, I just, it was going well, but it was like, hey, there's really nothing for if you had a degree you know, you know, college degree in, in West Virginia at that time, there wasn't a lot of options for you. Uh, pay just wasn't really high. Um, and so I, uh, I sought a commission on uh, – I went from the National Guard, switched components to active duty, went to Fort Benning, Georgia, and went through 12 weeks OCS and was commissioned as an engineer officer in 2007, April 2007.
0: Engineer, but you didn't have a degree in engineering. That's interesting. Yeah.
2: No, the Army doesn't require you to have an engineering degree to be a branched engineer officer. Uh So That's not required. It it does become an issue later on, and I eventually went back to school and got an engineering degree. Oh,
0: where would you go to school
2: for that? So um, the engineer branch has a cooperative program with Missouri Science and Technology. And so after my lieutenant time, Uh, So it would have been 2012. I went to uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I did six weeks of captain's career course for the Army. Uh, And through that, I got credit for four grad courses. And then I stayed an additional six months and finished my graduate work for my environmental engineering degree. So I took six grad courses in one semester and an undergrad course. But because I didn't have an ABET accredited bachelor's degree, I had to take additional, like six more additional courses Mm -hmm. over the next two years online. So I ended up having to take like, like three years of calculus, hydrology, a bunch of other stuff. So I actually didn't uh, get awarded my degree till uh, 2017, but I got a master's in environmental engineering.
0: Well, you spent a lot of years just learning stuff, right? Being in classes and doing stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I did. I mean, I said I did the a lot of those classes. You know, at, at MS and T, um, the Army gave me six months to complete those, and then the rest of it, I I did as I was going along, uh, distance learning. You know, you, right. you do it. You send your assignments in. Um, I finished, like I said, I finished the last ones when I was downrange in Qatar.
0: So yeah. So when you were in the National Guard, what kind of unit was that?
2: It was a military police unit.
0: All right. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just interesting to me because uh, you already did boot camp and uh, what is it called? A uh, advanced training, right? Um, you didn't have to repeat that. You just go to Officer Candidate School to go to? Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah, I did. I did uh, so for MP school, I did uh, basic and AIT together. Yeah. So it's called one station unit training. That was 19 total weeks in uh, 2006. I actually finished, like, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving in 2006. Uh-huh. Um, and then when I decided to go to OCS, I just, I didn't have to do basic training. I just reported to Fort Benning, drove down in my car, signed in. They sent me over to school and we, we started right after the new year. Yeah,
0: cool. What was Qatar like? I mean, they're playing the world cup there now.
2: Uh, so back then I only, um, I only got off base once, went down to downtown Doha. Uh, the country is very interesting. They, um, we had to deal a lot with, uh, their cultural, uh, differences um you know they when you're you're dealing with a lot with high-end level politics um so like they didn't really like the fact that we had women in the military but they had to deal with it but at the same time if you came up to, uh, you had to actually go through customs every time you came through the airport on base. And so if you like handed something with your left hand, they would kick you out of the country. Or if you did, if you walked up and you had sunglasses on, they'd kick you out of the country. So there was a lot of like weird things we had to deal with. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I mean, it was, it was a military base. Um, I didn't deal too much with the local Qatar. Uh, I did while I was there, I actually traveled up to Turkey a couple times and, uh, um, up to Iraq I went up to Kurd well, Northern Iraq, but really Kurdistan up in Erbil. Um, we were there during the, uh, Mosul when Iraq was recapturing Mosul from ISIS. Uh, ISIS. So it was a, a lot of special operations supported uh, stuff going on.
0: Oh, so it was active combat. Then you were uh,
2: sort of involved with that. So I was, a, for that one, for that deployment, I was a, an engineer, I was engineer, staff engineer to, um, it was an air command, actually. Uh, that's that was in charge of, uh, of most of the special operation air uh, air component. So we had four AC-130s that flew out of Vincelly, and so the, and then we also had uh, some bl- uh, some helicopters, we had some drones, different reconnaissance aircraft. But my my role was to make sure all the facilities and infrastructure that supported those airframes had what they needed. So. I would go around and and check the facilities and make sure that, you know, if they needed something, I would coordinate with the local engineering assets to get them something.
0: Yeah. So what other deployments did you have?
2: So, back you know, if you back up from there, I went uh, in 2010 to 2011. I spent 12 months in uh, Afghanistan based out of Qatar Air Base. I did 100 combat uh, patrols um, throughout RC South and Southwest, um, the guitar mission. And I did, uh, I did a short term, like four or five day TDY to Algeria. That was very interesting where I, um, actually ripped meat off of a whole roasted goat. Uh, it was very interesting. I was good until they started like popping the eyeballs out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I was like, uh, that one was fun. I did, uh, uh, after Hurricane Irma and Maria, I did 40 days to the Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. And then about nine months after that, when we were still recovering in Puerto Rico, I did 50 days in Puerto Rico. Uh, a couple um, a couple short trips down into North Carolina after Hurricane Florence and Dorian, which was nice because that is actually when I got to meet Dredd for the first time and post at uh, Alexander Graham Middle School, the first AO of F3. Yeah. And when was that? Uh, 2018.
0: So about a year after you were involved with F3. Yeah,
2: about a year and a half. Yep.
0: Yeah. So you were part of F3 while you were still active duty.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yeah, it must I be- didn't come off active duty until this past January.
0: Yeah. That must be hard, uh, be, uh being away all the time like that. You had, um, uh, children while you were away, right?
2: I did. Uh, my first deployment, my oldest, uh, Imogen was nine months when I left. Um, then, um, she, when I was in Qatar, you know, I had, Imogen was in school, so she really kind of knew what was going on then. Uh, and my, my younger daughter, Esme was, uh, how old is she? About a year old at that point. So, yeah. Um, you know, it comes with the job. It comes, you know, you, you learn to deal with it and learn with it, but, and enroll with it. But I think it's harder on the spouses more than anything.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sure. So how'd you end up out, out in, uh, Seattle?
2: Um, when my uh, ex-wife and I separated, she insisted on moving out here. Um, oh, okay. And so instead of fighting her, uh, I, I we made a compromise, which allowed her to move out here in June of 2018. And so then over the next 15 months, I actually flew back and forth quite a bit. About every six weeks, I'd fly back and forth from Pittsburgh to Seattle. Uh, and then uh, in... When some army stuff, kind of some admin stuff, administrative stuff, had to happen, and then I worked with my division commander to uh, get the orders out here. So he he got me orders out here. Um, I got here in November 2019, and then I, hung, I stayed on active duty about two more years, and then I dropped my separation packet.
0: Okay, and you met your uh, your current wife out there?
2: Met her in Pittsburgh. Oh, in Pittsburgh. Um, okay. Yep, she she's from Dubois, Pennsylvania, originally, uh, and she was uh, actually moved away from Pittsburgh to uh, Hampton Roads, down in Virginia Beach area, for about five years. And she moved back, um, probably about four or five months before we met, uh, to uh, to be near her grandmother as she was uh, passing away. And so um, she was, you know, we met and. I told her right off the bat that I had a, a, a difficult situation and she's like, okay, whatever. And I said, well, I'm also going <laughs> to be looking to move out west. She's like, yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And so I, I told her, I said, Hey, you know, uh, if you want to move out, I said, I'm going, I said, what do you want to do? She says, well, I'll go with you. I said, well, I mean, it, it's really expensive if we're not married. And she said, well, why don't we just get married? <laughs> so, so we got married and, uh because of the way the orders process works with the army, you, you need to be married uh, when the orders come down, or else they're not going to pay your spouse to move, your significant other to move. So, and that's a, a it's a significant issue. So, we got married, and she came out here, and we're here. Nice. We got a son together now, and yeah,
0: yeah, a little Otto. We saw him right yeah. before we came on the air. What is he about? Oh, he's two. He's into
2: everything. He is fourteen months.
0: Fourteen months. Okay. Yeah, all boy. Right.
2: He is all oh boy. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Not too many boys named Otto anymore. How'd you pick that name?
2: Uh, that is my grandfather's name.
0: Oh, that's good. Cool. Good meeting.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, my, my dad's dad's name.
0: That's cool. Is that a German origin,
2: Otto? It is. It would be, yeah, German origin. He was uh, first generation. His his mother, so my great-grandparents were, from, were German and Austrian, um, moved over here right before World War One, and so – um, they lived in New York city and that's where he was. He ended up, uh, he was a, an army officer as well, uh, signal Corps. So during World War Two. Yeah.
0: Cool. So it kind of runs in the blood a little bit.
2: Uh, yes. And I would say probably more so than that. Cause on my mom's side, my great grandfather was an engineer officer, uh, stationed out here at Camp Lewis back in the day. Yeah. He was a, a reserve an, a reserve engineer officer who worked uh, with the Army frequently from the 20s, 30s, and 40s.
0: Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. So um, what what rank were you when you – well, I'm, you still have your rank, I guess, right, because you're in reserves?
2: I'm a, I'm a captain right now.
0: Captain. Okay. Captain Gobbler. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> captain Gobbler. <laughs> nice. Well, um, so tell us about your, your fitness uh, kind of uh, – adventure here i mean it must be, you're part of f3 while you were deployed been part of it for about five years um but it must be i mean i don't know what the when you were in in the service did they have certain i, I know they have certain physical fitness standards you got to meet but were you doing more than that did you guys do pt every morning is that what you do when you're deployed or how does that work
2: uh so i mean it depends on what unit you're in and what they do but generally speaking yes uh the army has always had it or has, you know for the last 40 50 years has had a uh, some type of physical fitness test. Um most people are familiar with the APFT Army Physical Fitness Test which right. is 2 minutes of pushups 2 minutes of ups and a 2 mile run. Right. Uh broken down by age and gender. Um you know most of us do have to do something to pass that but to be honest uh most people can pass that without too much trouble. Um you know 5 days a week PT is pretty standard. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, some type of run, Tuesday, Thursday, some type of strength. That's been pretty much the standard in the Army, you know, off and on, but that's how a lot of most people train. Um, the Army has recently changed to the Army Combat Fitness Test, which is now uh, three rep max deadlift, uh, two minutes of hand release push ups, um, or actually the T push up, not exactly the hand release, it's slightly different. The Overhead ball toss. You have to throw a medicine ball backwards.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, two minute, or you have to do a plank. Uh, and, see, and then you have to do what's called the sprint drag carry, uh, where you're you're going back and forth on a 25 meter course, uh, sprinting uh, backwards, dragging about 90 pounds, carrying two kettlebells, and sprinting back. And then it all completes with a two mile run.
0: So do you have so. to do that
2: yearly? So there's different standards depending on active versus uh, reserve. Uh-huh. Uh, active, I think, has to do it twice a year, is twice a year, and the reserves is once a year.
0: Well, that's interesting. So you know, for the old APFT, i mean, basically you could you could prepare for that doing push ups sit ups, and running. Uh, this one's a little different. So yeah. you know, how do you prepare? Do you have to prepare for that sort of on your own, or you know, I mean, are you or is there a scheduled like you're getting the gym? You're going to do deadlifts and you're going to throw medicine balls. Like how do you do that?
2: Um, so most of, I haven't been in a unit where we've had to train the soldiers how to do it, but I have had to work with different units in the training plans. The bottom line is, yes, it requires, it does require getting soldiers into the gym uh, a lot more. Uh, and that is, that is that becoming, that is a little bit of an issue. Uh, equipment, the army spent quite a bit of money to buy trap bar dead, you know, trap bar deadlifting bars and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So yes, you do, you can't just do that running. We, the bottom line is that soldiers have to get, uh, more muscular.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, that's just the, it's just how it is. So, uh, me personally, uh, I mean, I've been pretty much even the last couple of years of active duty because of COVID, uh, I essentially have been working out independently for the past several years. And as an officer, you do periodically throughout your career. Anyways, when I was in Pittsburgh, I designed my own programs, um, and, and did that when I was deployed I pretty much designed my own program because nobody's nobody's really holding you accountable uh, they just expect you to, to do it yeah
0: yeah so when you when you got became part of f3 you were familiar with exercises and cadence and all that jazz and so that probably came easy for you right correct queue in a workout so when you queue now what what do you typically
2: do if you're the queue so it depends but I like to bring in a different, um, what I would call well, different implements for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just to kind of throw something different in there. And then I will normally work something in that I would consider is uh, more like real life. So I'm, I'm going to have you carry something. I'm going to have you, maybe if I can get a, uh, my sled out there and have you drag something, or even if it's dragging 120 pounds. Sandbag. I'm going to have you do some of that. Um, uh, try to get some, and then I'm going to try and get some type of repetitiveness in there, or some type of continuous uh, activity. So you're always in motion for at least thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get that heart rate up, and you're moving around. So uh, I did a workout last year, early this year, that the guys. It was really good. When we had um, water cans or, or jerry cans, if you will, filled with with water, and we move them back and forth on a football field seven times using a different method of carrying it each time. So carrying your right hand, carrying your left hand, carry it overhead, bear crawl while dragging, um, bear crawl while pushing different, something like that. And then at each end we would do uh, every time you got to the goal line, you do 10 burpees. So we ended up racking up 140 burpees and uh, it was like 31 degrees Frosty, yeah, it, it was perfect. Perfect, so, you got Tore yeah, up that like that
0: it. football field, didn't you?
2: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was turf field. So it was oh, nice. Okay, yeah it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's probably easier to slide and drag things on turf field, I think, yeah. rather
2: than uh, yeah. But you, I've always tried to mix it up. Um, I try to stay attuned to what were we've been doing over the past month or two months, and if I think that um, the AO has forgotten to do an exercise for a while. I'll bring that one back. And so I have a couple favorites. Uh, I like doing dirty dogs. Um, what? Like doing dirty dog? Fire hydrants, dirty dogs. You know what I'm talking about? You no. You lift your leg. Okay, so you're oh, like... Just,
1: just a fire hydrant? Okay. So you like, right. on That's your hands dogs? and knees right.
2: and you do that? But you do... But you, you don't just do 10. You do 104 count each right. leg. Yeah, yeah. okay. And so... <laughs>
0: There go the hip. Uh, Fiat has
2: fallen victim to that several times.
0: Yeah. Um, so that would really hurt my abductors. The, so the adductors and abductors. Yes. Add means Ad. toward. So that yes. comes in. Ab is Ad away. To the middle. Ab is away. You know that because you did exercise science. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: One of my favorite workouts is 10 push ups, 20 squats, 30 rowers, run a quarter mile. <laughs> and you do that for 30 minutes. And what you'll find is uh, guys that have weak abs. Will start to slow down, even if they're fast runners, yeah, because yeah. they end up using their legs a lot. So try to get workouts where you hit at least every muscle group to some little bit with a little cardio in there. And
1: so you guys are you're F three Puget Sound, right?
2: No, I'm not. You're I'm not actually now officially F three South Sound.
1: South Sound, okay. And, and it's is the, sea, it's, Jewish region. is Seattle its own region then?
2: So Seattle is, is its own region, and that would be everything west of Lake Washington. Okay. Puget Sound is still Kirkland and everything east of Lake Washington. And then South Sound, we kind of draw an imaginary line at SeaTac. Okay. But there's kind of a big gap between Tacoma and, and Seattle that includes like Renton and Kent where there's not a lot. And we're working, we are working to fill that in. Um, so.
1: And, and it, is my memory serving me correct? Is it F3 Puget Sound that's come up with a workout during Iron Packs the past like two, maybe three years?
2: It is. Okay. They are so and I would say in the last year they split off Seattle and then we split off of them. Yeah. Okay. Off of Puget Sound as
1: well. And cuz it, it's always it's I think was it like week 3 I think the past two years or something like that. It's always a good it's like a good workout. A all, tough one. All the workouts. are workouts. Yeah. But there's there's usually like one of the tougher ones of the week. Mm. Um, nothing against the the originators of the Iron Packs, but well, I think the they, Sound guys. I don't know whose idea it. it was. I think they always want to like make something tougher than the rest of the workouts, to, right? To stand I, I, out. I don't know
0: whose idea it was, but it was a really good idea to put it out to other regions to come up with workouts, because then people, guys are going to be competing, regions are going to be competing yeah. to see who could get you know kill you the most. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of kill you the most, uh, you got you're known for putting out the Gobbler Challenge for every Thanksgiving. Uh, what do you got for this year?
2: Uh, it has been released. Uh, So I can share it here. Uh, The workout is, uh, so while I'm looking it up, the first year it involved um, five rounds of different exercises sprinkled with kettlebell swings or block swings. So you ended up with 500 swings with running and exercises. Um, Last year I bit off more than I can chew. It had like two kilometers of bear crawling. Not a good idea. Don't (laughs) recommend that one. So this year, is it's a 60-minute AMRAP. It's 10 T-Markins, 20 bodyweight squats, 30 rowers, 40 overhead presses, 50 block swings, 60 flutter kicks while you're holding the block overhead, 70 rows, like a low row with the block, 80 lunges, 90 crunches, and then you'll run a lap.
1: And you said 60-minute AMRAP, right? Yep.
2: 60 minutes. So 60, One hour continuous never take a break
1: so so just before we recorded this podcast we threw out a challenge to our packs
0: yeah yeah we're we're, we're even <laughs> upping the ante because so we're gonna do the the
1: gobbler challenge for our, so normally that's the grand finale
0: that's the grand finale normally we have a beat down on thursdays at 0500 which is basically a running workout so go ahead tell them.
1: yeah up. so 0500 is our normal time for the beat down and it's it's generally a run um on Saturdays our beatdown's at 6:30 and we always do a 5:45 pre-run. So the decision was and maybe I made the decision unilaterally. I think you did, yeah. Free to lead, brother. You're the All first right? FQ. I'm so the first you, FQ and I'm free to lead. So yeah. so we're doing the normal 0500 run and then we'll have the the normal Saturday 05 5:45 uh, pre-run, which kind of is a post-run now, right? Cuz you it's could It's a middle run. Right, it's a middle run. And then we're doing the Gobbler Challenge, so we're calling, calling it the, the 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 Turkey Day Triple. If uh, anyone can show up and do all three, so they'll end up running probably six and a half, seven miles, maybe somewhere in there. If they do both of the both of the runs, and then they'll be doing the Gobbler Challenge. So,
2: yeah, we we had a couple guys uh, do go ahead and do it last week because they have uh, they're going to Disney Land. <laughs> for uh, for this week, the whole week so they're gone. They
1: got three and a half rounds done. Three
0: and a half rounds, okay. Yeah. This is uh, So the guys, any of the guy, the reward for any guy that does this triple is that they'll be asleep by halftime of the first football game. <laughs> That's right. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> the runners will enjoy the beginning. And-
1: so, so given that this hasn't released yet, mm-hmm. at the time that we'll be doing this, so, so Beach Ball, who's our most competitive PAX member, so he said guys did this, what, three times? Three and a half rounds. So that means that we're telling Beach Ball that um, in the uh, in the in the pilot program of this workout, pretty much everybody did at least six. So oh, you're going to lie to him. <laughs> I <see. laughs> So so Beach Ball's going to tell
2: him anything you want. That's yeah, right. right. Beach
1: Ball's going to feel like some <laughs> inadequate chump whenever he only right. gets three or four rounds in. Yeah,
0: but it'll push him. <laughs> Oh, my Lord.
1: We'll break the news to him afterwards. We do
0: not condone lying here at the High Impact mansion. Uh, it's it's
1: motivation. Motivation. It's motivational. Right. Your coaches have lied to you over the motivation. years, right, to motivate you? Uh,
0: if, I, if they did, I don't remember. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. they lied to me by telling me I was good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. They never told me I was good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They've told you that
1: you, you can beat that team, yeah, right. right? You can beat that team if you play yeah. your best. Now we're never going to yeah. beat them if we play our best, right? Yeah, we always thought we could win. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, all right, back to you.
0: All right, so Gobbler Challenge. So what year is this?
2: Uh, so, the third, so it's the third official year. Um, I did, uh, on the Stuff Worth Trying podcast, you can kind of listen to kind of a little bit more about where it came from. But uh, I, I would say I did do it in 2018 with the Pittsburgh Packs. Mm-hmm. So they, they could claim the original. All
0: right, nice. So you get guys registered. So how many people have you ever registered for this year?
2: Uh, I have it in front of me. I have 114, actually. Okay. That's good for a holiday. 98 requesting patches. Oh. So.
1: Yeah. Guys like patches. I didn't realize there was patches. There's patches. Yeah.
2: There's a patch. But you have to sign up, and you have to pay $5 to, for charity. I, so.
1: I know we did the kettlebell one. I remember, because you guys did that. I usually run the the run for diamonds on right. Thanksgiving Day. But I know you guys did it at the Convergence at the mall. Yeah. Two years ago. Right. I don't remember. Did you guys do, did you do the Gobbler Challenge last year? I don't
0: think we did. I can't
1: remember. You guys got together. You guys had a convergence again with the guys from Bloom.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what we did. Yeah,
1: so I can't remember uh, what you guys did last year. But I,
0: I can't remember last week. So, I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: i have to throw it out there and see who remembers. All right. Well, unfortunately,
0: uh, we can't advertise the Gobbler Challenge because this episode will air after the Thanksgiving Day. But anyway. Next year.
1: Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, next year. Do the Gobbler Challenge in 2023. Yeah.
0: I could do all those things, but the this, this block swings, I got I got a problem with my back. I've had surgery on my back. and said the block swings are a no-go for me. So I'll sub uh, Alpos or something in there for block swings. But,
2: yeah, do what you got to do. Yeah,
0: that's right. Um, especially if I do the trifecta. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. You have to get you know load up on ibuprofen for that one. You'll be good.
1: You'll be fine. Uh, I will be fine. I will survive. You will survive.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, if you had to pick an exercise, what's your least favorite exercise to do? Um, burpees. Yeah, me too. I hate burpees. Love them or hate them. Yeah. Now, now burpee. I so I I queued a workout recently, and uh, it was the Saturday after Veterans Day, and so I I had I, I let off with a twenty-one burpee salute. But we did them in cadence. It was a four count burpee. So there's no Merkin at the bottom. Um, Nana, what do you think of that? I think that's still a burpee. Well,
2: it's not a burpee.
0: It's not a burpee. Okay. Yeah. It's not a burpee. It's a, it's it's a squat, squat thrust. thrust. Yeah, it's a squat thrust. It's You're a squat right. thrust. All right. So it was a 21 squat thrust salute. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's easier on my back. I don't know what it is, adding that Merkin at the bottom. The, I watch other guys do it. Nobody, I I mean, you'd have to really, really pay attention to be strict. Without swaying your back when at the bottom when you do the the merkin, because usually guys like flop down and do
1: do the CrossFitters do a burpee, or do a do a push up with their burpees. They do, don't they? They
2: just hit the ground. I mean, they just flop to the ground and then push up. Yeah. yeah. If you're lowering yourself down in a proper merkin at the bottom of the burpee, you're. I mean, you're going to exhaust yourself a lot faster.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. No doubt. I tend to if I'm in a race of burpees, I. I kind of flop. Well, that's the problem. Is everybody the ground,
0: starts right? uh, cheating because they want to go faster. Yeah, yeah.
1: But is that still a burpee?
0: I don't know. But if you do a four-count squat thrust, you're less likely to cheat because it's in cadence. Yeah, but you're
1: not doing the merkin.
0: You're not. But we did Merkin We did merkins anyway. Lots of them. Yeah. So no. anyway, you,
2: you can uh, you can amp it up to the eight-count
0: bodybuilder. Ooh, I think they do that at the in the growrucks. I saw. Yeah. I just don't remember what it is. So that's so with the merkin at the bottom.
2: Well, you do a merkin at the bottom, and then you you jump your legs apart and jump them back in too. Right. Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. So, Almost like a side straddle hop
2: at the top. Kind of. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. No, I you do side straddle. You do the jumping when you're in the the up the. Uh, On the merkin position. Next. When you're in the bottom with your when you're at, with your you do your you push up and then you jump your legs and then you stand back. Oh, out. so right, it's like right, a plank
1: right, jack right. in the bottom. Yeah, it's like right? a plank jack. Yeah. yeah.
2: Plank
0: jack. Yeah. Ah, uh, cool. I forgot about those. Yeah.
1: I think we did. Who? Someone. Gandalf might have done those one time. Yeah, we could bring those back. He here. did a whole.
0: I'm really glad you left the burpees out of this go- gobbler challenge, though. So <laughs> thank you.
2: Uh, we we had. A, I'm trying to remember. I did have some possibilities. Where am I? I did a whole like uh, about four or five options, and then I got some input from uh, some of the guys. Yeah, and we landed on this one. I'm trying to. I had to find it. I had some real winners. Um, here we go. It's it's right, spreadsheet open. I had a, uh, here was one. I think that maybe the guys are happy we're not doing. It was uh, the Gobbler Super Ladder. Um, So I do a workout, and I've done this before. It's called the Gobbler Ladder, where you start by running a lap, or you do 50 merks. But anyways, you you go up with with push-ups, and then you run a lap. You do squats, like 100 squats. You run two laps. Then you do like 300 sit-ups, and you run... Three laps and you come back. Anyway, there's different ways to do it, but the bottom line is you're increasing your running, increasing the number of reps, and coming back down. Yeah. And and I had done one where you would be running like you'd be doing like a ridiculous amount of work. It was it was like five miles of running plus like five to six hundred reps. It was and 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 the guys just looked at that and goes no. Um,
1: <laughs> well, that would take me more than an hour. <laughs> the football games would be over until yeah. some people finish it.
2: Oh yeah! No, no, no. That would have taken a, a while. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, I had one where you run a lap, you overhead carry your coupon around, uh, and then you do a lunge the whole track, and then you farm or, farmer or carry two blocks. Ooh yeah. So, but they did. So that was gonna that was gonna be a workout here soon. Um, yeah. Just you know.
1: Probably the day that I show up. Right, right, right. <laughs>
2: get ready. No, I can tell you it won't be that one. Right. I can tell you it won't be that. That'll All probably right. happen. Uh, I'm, I'm queuing on December. Oh, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. So I'm going to have a Christmas present on. There you <laughs> go.
0: <laughs> Everyone, again, will be asleep early.
1: That's right. So well, what But
2: the- I like, I like I have a whole spreadsheet here, and I couldn't even tell you how many different workouts I've come up with. Like, I just like to, I'll just sit down and create different, uh, training programs for myself. Um, like yeah. I, de- I, designed a, uh, like right now I'm trying to do a, a, a uh, the 10,000 kettlebell challenge I did. And so I've used that to design different, um, kettlebell workouts where I try to do 500 kettlebell swings in a workout along with, with lifting. And, um, I use the, the five, three, one program for lifting. I like to use that as a, a basis for what's, a lot of what's things. What's
0: that? What's a five, three, one program?
2: Uh, I, it's a strength training program where you um, – it's basically you're doing sets of five, three, or one, uh, for, and then you cycle each month or every two months, um, focusing on the four major lifts, the squat, the deadlift, the overhead press, and the bench. Okay. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of – what I like about the program is it kind of gives you a framework, and then you can use that as a jumping-off point. Um, I did – in 2020, I squatted – every day for three months, um, except for Sundays. Wow.
0: Squatted every day for three months. Uh, Half Thor needs to hear that. He just
2: did a squat over. Yeah. Yeah. And most of those I did, it was heavy. So like I was, I was working myself up to a, a a one, a daily one rep max on those.
0: What, what would your one rep max be?
2: At that time, uh, it depended. My my back squat around that time, I think I got up to three seventy five. Yeah. Um, and then my front squat is a well, it depends, but it's around two seventy five. I haven't tested one rep maxes in a while, but I did a, uh, I did a triple at two forty, 240, two thirty five, two forty five. Yeah. You know, doubles around two fifty five. I've gone away from back squatting a lot because it um, it takes me so long to recover.
0: Yeah.
2: So I do. I'm, I'm doing a lot more front squat. And the front squat, and I, I'll be honest, I really, I really think you know, we should. it's really a good exercise because the act of holding the weight on your front as opposed to your back, one, it, it forces good form because if you lean forward, you drop, drop the weight. Right. Yeah. And two, it actually allows you to train your upper back a lot more. Sure. Which is probably one of the most undertrained body parts for most men. Yeah. And it's a very poor posture. Yeah. It leads to overactivation of the pecs and the rounded shoulders. Yep. And, you know, just a lot of bad things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's a lot of complex muscle groupings in the shoulders and stuff. And those rear delts and rhomboids and things in the back don't get worked very often. I just started working them. I just started. The rhomboids. I, I you, just, you just said rhomboids? I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. I know some what stuff. Are the there. rhomboids. Good job. <laughs> I do work in medicine, you know. <laughs> I, I know. I had anatomy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, terrace major, terrace minor, yeah, I can keep going. Yeah, keep, keep yeah, going. Keep going. Uh, so anyway, I, I wax and wane with what I do. Like, if I focus on running, I don't lift very much. If I focus on lifting, I don't run very much. I have a hard time finding the the energy reserves to, to, to do both <laughs> well. And I, that's a little bit of an excuse. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit true too. I'm at 56 now. It's just a little bit harder to recover if I keep doing <coughs> consistently. You know, consistently do both of those. But anyway, recently I started lifting a little bit more here in my nan cave, and uh, and I started doing some uh, reverse flies. I think Is that what you call them. A little bit on incline bench, so you face down on the incline bench and you go back. Yeah. Man, they are. I've gotten weaker. I haven't done them a long time since I've done those. Like I hit the rear delts and those other back muscles, and I. Uh, I started. I got twenty five pound dumbbells. I went, oh, they didn't go anywhere. <laughs> like, <"Whoa." laughs> one re- one rep. That's a little too much. So I, I got. Did you I, have to get your wife's dumbbells out? No, no. I got <laughs> adjustable dumbbells here, so I use fifteen pounds now. Like you know, I could probably use twenty and get like two maybe. But anyway, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, that is it, and that leads to shoulder problems. A lot of yes. guys have shoulder problems, especially late in life, and yeah. it's because of that you don't use those muscles even when you work out, right? Even when you work out, we're not using those muscles.
2: Not like that.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it says, I mean, I think the Merkin, when you do a push up, you're kind of, kind of using them in a negative, I guess, but I don't know.
2: So that, and that is the basis of the T Merkin. So one of the reasons it, because the T Merkin, as you go down, you have to put your hands out to the side and it forces you to pull your, your shoulders just a little bit. Yeah. And so guys will, depending on how many they actually do, uh, we, when we started doing these in the army, one of the first things we found out was like, "Oh my gosh, that hurts!" the upper, the upper back is sore.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, because so like I'm on my PT test, my max I think is uh, 56 in two minutes. Um, and you go, "Oh, you can do 56 pushups in two minutes." Well, it's not that hard until you start having to push your arms out to the side and go right. back in and, and do that repetitive motion over and over, and your upper back does it works it pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how fatiguing it could be. Yeah. Well, it's an
1: anti-cheater push-up, right? It's an anti-cheater, yeah, yeah. And
2: I'm a big fan of. So, I'm a big fan of exercises that um take away the subjectivity. Yep. Like, you know, like I know you did a full push-up because you just had to take your hands off and put them out right. to the side. Absolutely. you can't cheat on that, right? Yep. So, well, nah, but you can that. kind
0: of cheat on the top a little bit, don't go up
1: all the way. Well, that's why you had to do a single hand release at even the top.
2: Those, you could yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah,
0: but it's it's hard. You're to, right. It's, it's much harder to cheat. Yeah, yep, no doubt.
2: Most people don't cheat there. Yeah. Yes. Some people do, but most people don't. I I have run across guys who can't extend their arms all the way. Yeah. But those are very few. To Be honest. It's you know majoring yeah. on the minors at that point. I could
0: yeah. do the t the t release at the bottom. I got shoulder operation twice on my right shoulder, but my I can't when I do the hand release at the top. I can only I can only release my right hand. I can't hold my. Because of my shoulder, my so elbow. So you can't like alternate
1: your. Yeah, it's always. Yeah, because yeah, when I do them, I always, yeah, I'll do like five one way, can't. five the other, or something like that.
0: Another
2: problem I have. So uh, how much running excuses, do you do? Gab? Excuses. Excuses. Not enough. Um, that is a constant source of where I'm, I'm constantly trying to get running into my uh, training. I've gone back and forth in different ways. Um, I actually, for drill this past weekend, we, we just did two miles. We did a. Um, a Group run out at about a 11 minute mile, and then we turned around and released run back. Mm-hmm. So, um, running is kind of one of those that I, I have I, I would love to just go out and then run as much as I can, but it's uh, diminishing returns after a while. Um, I almost have to go to the chiropractor after every time I run. Yeah,
0: yeah so, I hear you.
2: <laughs> but, that's actually why one of the reasons the Tuesdays, Tuesday, Thursday AO popped up at Chambers Creek is because it was a, a motivation that I knew I was not, I am, if you leave me to my own designs. I'm not going to run by myself. Yeah. And so, um, a lot of times I will design workouts with a fair amount of running in them just to force me to run. Yeah. So, um,
1: so Tuesdays, Thursdays are run out there.
2: Uh, it has been in the past. Um, one of the guys has been dealing with plantar fasciitis. So we we've had uh, kind of going back and forth and we used it to train for a uh, grow rock for a while different things like that. But, yeah. um, we, we have done a, a, have done it where Tuesdays was running right now. We're doing it where Tuesdays is a 30 minute AMRAP and then Thursday is, is whatever we want. So, uh, I'm, uh, we've used it as a, um, sometimes as a recovery, I'm in a constant state of, of recovery management, stress management between all the things going on, uh, project startup at work, the reserves, my wife's small business, my ex-wife who aggravates the piss out of me. So, I'm constantly <laughs> like, okay, where, uh-huh. how much stress can I put into my, my life and when, where do I have to pull back? Right. Yeah,
0: that's tough. I think all guys have to figure that out and we all deal with different things, but um, so you're project manager at work, a construction company, is that right? Did I get that right?
2: Yes, a commercial construction company. You guys yep. built the Marriott. So I am assigned to the federal team, so I, I just go to base every day and build stuff.
0: Nice.
2: <laughs> I, I spend most of my days, right now I'm not driving to base because uh, we haven't gotten our um, our office set up for the new project, but I, I left work one day driving to base on this side and then I just started driving over this side of base.
0: So cool. How long have you been doing that?
2: Started that in January. Oh, so it's relatively new. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I was working on the, the, we have about a team, about four or five guys that do federal work for the company. So
0: cool. So, um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, uh, your queen only because I, I'm going to see if you have the same issue. I do when I, first of all, I struggle with my queen. Like a lot of guys do. Um, but if I focus on lifting, I, I gain weight. Now, it's not, I'm not gaining, I'm gaining a little bit of muscle, but I mean, I, you know, within a few weeks, if I'm, if I'm lifting a lot, I'm going to gain weight and it's not something, I don't think about it. I just, it just happens. And I think I probably eat more. I don't know. And I'm not eating lean enough, but, but the only way I could have found that I could really drop weight to get close to, um, ideal body weight is, is if I'm running about 15 miles a week or more. I mean, do you have that same issue that, I mean, am, am I alone in that?
2: Uh, you're probably not alone. I guess it comes to the question of, um, and I've come to is, uh, you know, what is, what is your, what is the purpose of the idea of body weight? Uh, the army tells me I should weigh 179 pounds. I weigh this past week, 223. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm ex- quite a bit over it now. Do I need to lose weight? Absolutely. Um. that's been something I've been working on. Um, and it goes all into the stress management. It's... it's um, this is something I constantly have to to look at and manage. Um, I was actually talking to a, a guy in my unit this past week. He's an amateur bodybuilder. And I was just like, is it possible I'm not eating enough? Um, because of how, especially once you cross 40, your body starts doing weird things on you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the complicated, I have found um, that in the year following when um, I have, a, my, my wife has a child that my weight goes up no matter what I do. Uh And so then you have the whole whole hormone game because science has shown that in the year post children, a men's testosterone will drop and his oxytocin and estrogen will go up. Right. And there's nothing you can do about that. Right. That's, That's, that's how you're made. And so you're constantly trying to manage that. And that just makes it harder to lose weight as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it for me. Um, I f- try to focus on uh, the the big rocks. You know, drinking enough water, um, not eating after, you know, dinner. Don't eat. Don't snack after dinner. Um, and then I also the other thing to do is eat most of my carbs early in the day.
0: Yeah.
2: Because um, as you get closer to the evening, you don't you don't need them as much. Yeah. So uh, it's helped a little bit, but it is at the end of the day, it's just. For me, it's also, when I was on active duty, it's just like, it's weird. I don't know if it's weird. It's just the way it was. It was very easy for me to get my 10,000 steps in a day mm-hmm. when I was on active duty. Yeah. Now, it's the same job. It's an office job. I mean, if you look at it, it's really the same job. But being just being in the Army, just the way the Army is set up, you just walk a lot more. Mm-hmm. Now, I go to work, and if I'm not careful, I'll walk 2,000 steps a day. It's like, what happened? Yeah, right. Like, it's the same job. But just the way things are set up, you know, office buildings and all that stuff, you just are more, um, they have a term for it, it's the, it's basically it's just your thermogenic activity outside of exercise.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, that is actually where if you want to lose weight, that's what you want to increase. Um, exercise actually does it. But, but weightlifting, the interesting about weightlifting is you actually burn calories for 48 hours afterwards to repair um, but if I do a hard – and when I say a hard weightlifting session, I'm talking like, you know, I'm deadlifting reps, sets and reps of 315 or, or squatting, you know, doing front squats. There was a while that I think I did – my last hard front squat session was five sets of five at
0: 225.
2: Yeah. And that was that was just – and I, I superseded that with um, high pulls at one sixty-five or something. And then I had three, two, a couple more supersets after that, a really hard workout. And I would get ravaged. Like I would eat like if right. it, if it stopped moving, I would eat it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: hunger. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. I get it.
2: <laughs> so, but most people don't work out that heavy. Uh, I mean, and I, I don't every day. I mean, that's like a, I ramp up to that and that's like a one to two week thing. And yeah. then, you know, you come off. Sure. Uh, but yeah, the queen is something that we have to manage diligently and i hate this time of year to a certain extent because you go right into halloween and it's just like there's candy everywhere it's like Mm -hmm. you have to have like the level of self-discipline you have to have is unreal yeah when you go into offices and there's just all kinds of stuff. Oh, just it's always
0: everywhere. bad stuff. It's always donuts and cupcakes. And yeah. And then the holidays hit.
1: And right. And, and so then, yeah, yeah, Thursday, you know, Thanksgiving oh, yeah. and then Christmas, it's all. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was
2: a drill this weekend and they had a cake because we've changed out commanders. Yeah. You know, and then next month we're having another cake cause it's a holiday party. I and mean, then this is the army we're doing this at. Sure. You know? And so, all
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I know. Um, So let me talk to you a little bit about your role as a weasel shaker. You're the nation's weasel shaker. Tell everybody what that involves.
2: So there's no real job description per se. Um, When Dark Helmet asked me to do it, he basically (laughs) told me I just needed to um, keep him in line. Uh, (laughs) But what I do is I set the meetings and run the meetings for the national team. Uh Um, I... Uh, make sure all the information is needed. If, if something's tasked out, I obviously try to follow up, make sure that it gets done. Uh, but in a, in a large sense, what I try to do is, is ensure that the systems and processes that drive at the national level um, support the creation of the culture that we're trying to create, which in this case is free to lead. Right. Uh, and and a sponte culture, um, which – is not always uh, easy because a lot of times we the our, the way we are trained to solve problems in our mammon, uh, those solutions are counterproductive to the culture that we in F3 are trying to create. Yeah. And so we have to take a step back and we have to make sure we're, that, yes, we might be solving a problem, but what are the second and third order effects that we're creating through solving that problem?
0: All right. Got so, it. So it's kind of like staying on mission
2: it is but my you know there's a lot of different ways to say Sam mentioned but like specifically like I'm looking at the systems and processes I, I I firmly believe that if you have a good system and process in place I don't care if it's your family if it's a business or church it will take care of 80% of the issues that come along um, the, biggest, the two biggest mistakes I see people make is one they think that if their system or process didn't handle something it's broken it's not true it just means that it falls on that 20% that requires leadership attention. Always. Yeah. There's always going to be the exceptions. You cannot create a perfect system or process or form or whatever it is to handle everything. Uh, and, and the second is people go, well, since I can't create a perfect one, I won't have anything. Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't work either because now instead of the leader just dealing with 20% of the issues, he's dealing with everything. And so that, you know, that process or the system, whatever you put in place is a really a big filter to take off the easy stuff figure out what it is that requires the leader's attention and what, you know, so he can focus it there. Um, that, so that's kind of what we do. What I do is just kind of, okay, what do we, what do we have here? Let's take care of it. You know, I have a, um, when I set up the battle rhythm or the meeting schedule, you know, I, I, I ask the same questions all the time, which is what, what's the purpose of the meeting? What information are we trying to get? What decision are we trying to make? And what I would, what I see, people are like, oh, you don't need meetings, you don't need meetings. Well, you know, you do need meetings because you have to create shared understanding. Yeah. So if you don't, if your team does not see the problem and the solution the same way, you you can't tackle it. It right. doesn't matter how simple it is. If you if you and I have two different sight pictures, we're not going to shoot at the same thing and we're going to be going in a different direction. So you got to create that shared understanding so people can can take uh, initiative and accept prudent risk. Uh, those are three of the five principles of, of mission command within the Army. It's create shared understanding, disciplined initiative, and prudent risk. But once you do that, and, and a meeting, meetings or whatever your tools and, and systems are to do that, then that facilitates sui sponte leadership. Uh-huh. So you can't take initiative – and, and of your own accord, so it's Sponte, if you don't know what the heck the mission is mm-hmm. or if you don't know what the conditions are. And so, but to that end, many of the problems that we face, conditions are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, making sure you have something in place where you you constantly come back, reassess the situation, uh, complex problems versus uh, complicated problems. Complex problems are, you know, change just from studying them and so you constantly have to evaluate the conditions and see if that change in conditions necessitate a change in approach but in order to do that you have to know you kind of you have to kind of determine okay what is it what is critical to decisions and so you know what one of the first discussions i had with dark helmet was like what decisions are you going to hold to yourself that you will not delegate what is Mm non-delegatable and then we tell people that (laughs) Yeah. And one of the work I see this in businesses every time they go, nobody understands that the boss is going to make that decision and you don't have the authority to make it. Or if you do, you stand a very good chance of him overriding you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's the decision that needs to be made? And then who's the decision maker until you identify the decision maker? There's no purpose having a discussion about it. It's just you and I might as well just drink beer and talk mm-hmm. you, you know, identify the decision maker, and then we can decide where we go with this. You can decide what meeting it needs to go to. Is, can we make it at our level? Is it, you know, is it, hey, that's a GMO decision. We don't even need to talk about it. You know, he yeah. wants to ask us fine. Or is this a dark animal? Or is it a slaughter issue? Um, and that's tied to risk and who owns the resources. You know, so if, if I can't make a decision, if I don't own the risk. Right. And the resource is tied to that risk. And if I don't have the mechanisms to enforce it. Yeah. And yeah. so those are, those are the type of things. It's understanding how all that's laid out and the interactions and the interplay. Uh, so that we, you know, we don't waste time, you know, I, I'm the, I don't get to mumble chatter in the meetings as much because I have to drive the meetings and that's okay. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. You know, yeah, you get to mumble chatter here on our, on our podcast. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just mainly I have, you know, I, I set up, um, I set up basically a quarterly battle rhythm, uh, uh-huh for the nation so that we are able to drive uh, the information up and down um, between right. the packs all the way up to Slogger. Yeah. So facilitate yeah. that process.
0: You're familiar with systems and processes, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Mr. Yeah. IT guy?
1: Yep. Lots of, lots of good project management concepts in there for sure. Yeah
0: i I work in medicine, and uh, so as a physician assistant, I got to know what decisions I can make and when I have to, what decisions I have to pass on to the surgeon yeah, and everybody's going to be different in our in my job because I have thirty years of experience, but the person that's only has one year of experience, their decision making responsibility is going to be less than mine and that kind of thing yeah interesting
1: yeah. I, I loved your comments on meetings because that like, nothing drives you cr- more crazy than just a, a meeting just to be a meeting. Right. right, no, yeah, yeah. no purpose, yeah. like, wrong people are in it. It's just like, it's like you're killing me, you just like yeah. wasted my time. We, we part, of, part of
2: my last job was to participate in what the Army calls Warfighters. And Warfighter is the uh, premier training event for division and core level assets. So we're talking two and three star generals on their staffs. And uh, what I see is the successful units that do this. First of all, you, you have to understand, the ba- these battle rhythms are crazy. They're having meetings all the time, trying to, you know, they're, they're maneuvering brigades or divisions across the battle space, aviation, all kinds of stuff going on. But the thing they will do is that at the beginning of every meeting, they will say, this is the purpose. Mm -hmm. This is what we're going to do. This is who needs to be here. And you do not deviate from that. And it's, and you don't deviate that because what, if you do, you're bringing in something that belongs somewhere else that someone else might not get or the proper people might not be there. So you're just wasting everyone's time. Yeah, right. So it's very key to, uh, to understand that. And then also like that, information – everyone needs to understand the information that drives decisions mm-hmm. because if you, you come across it and you don't know it, you don't know to pass it up. You know, yeah. what, what do I know and who else needs to know it? Is a good quite If you find yourself in, in a, in a headquarters or any type of organization, that's a good question to ask yourself. What do I know and who else needs to know it? And that prevents stovepiping. And so, you know, people get, I've heard people, all the armies, you know, they stovepipe. I'm telling you, in a properly functioning division and core level headquarters, there is zero stovepiping going on. And it's a lot of talking and a lot of communication, and it has to be controlled. Because you can very quickly become overwhelmed with data and information, mm-hmm. and so if I'm an if I'm sitting as an army officer and, my, and I have a junior officer bring me something, first thing I'm going to ask him is why? Why? What? What? what does this tell me? You know, you need to do the work to go from information to, to or sorry, data to information to knowledge, because at knowledge, then you go to decision, mm-hmm. and that's what you expect leaders to do. You expect leaders to make decisions. You don't expect them to do the what I call staff work of of filtering that into knowledge, mm-hmm. the so, okay. you know, you bring me a big spreadsheet of fuel numbers, that's <laughs> great, but I don't have the time to decipher, decipher that. All right, now if you come and tell me that my battalion on my right is short of 400 gallons of fuel to complete the operation, that's actionable information because that means I need to we need to make a decision mm-hmm. and accept risk somewhere else to get the fuel over there. Okay. Yeah.
1: When you were saying stove piping, were, were, were you were referencing like the the lack of sharing of information? Yes, stove okay. is what we reference that where you yeah. know
2: you just get all of this information stays in one channel. Yep. Right.
1: It's we tend to, we share. we tend to use silo. Silo. Yeah, yeah. siloed is the term that that uh, we tend to use in our organization. We don't use any terms. You just don't share any information. We d- <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we share information, so we share a lot of information. But that's like from one person signing out the right, your patient. direct handoff, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of information that's yeah. shared, and it's uh, well, it has to be done
2: properly. I've, I've seen the medical field is is a, a prime example because I I you know, if, you know I go to my own medical or You see things, and you'll see basically in a microcosm, they're doing exactly what what has to happen on a larger scale, which is yeah. you have a rec, you're, if you're transferring, you know, the patient to one person to another, that doesn't. You just don't, don't walk out. Right. There's a, a you will sit there and you will go down and yes. you will hit it, yes. and it's taken a step to another level where everything is inputted into a digital file, so that you know in a, in a I assume a consistent manner, so that. Anyone walks in the room and picks up that file, they can see what's going
0: on. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, and it's it's critically important. We've gotten pretty good at it in in the clinical aspect of medicine yeah. because patients' lives depend on it and their well being. So I was
1: going to touch on. I like the concept that you said about eighty. Like your 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 systems or processes should account for eighty percent of the scenarios, right? And there's going to be 20, you twenty know, percent. It's okay for those things to fall out, and that's when the leader steps in to to address those situations and issues. But in medicine, obviously, we we don't tend to. Um, we, we can't have that 20% decision point a lot of ways. Like, our systems tend to have to be more foolproof because uh, we're trying to mitigate every possible, every possible risk. Yeah, and sometimes we take that probably too far. Yeah, we, yeah, we definitely um, take it too far. You know, everything is like, you know, one one bad outcome, and now we have to put in some type of alert to prevent it from right. ever, ever, ever happening again just because, you know, someone screwed up. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I still like the I like the idea, though.
0: You know, I always thought, I knew Weasel Shaker had to be involved in that kind of stuff. Um, but I always pictured Weasel Shaker as almost, not a not a rah-rah guy, but a, a guy that's going to try to inspire, right, and motivate guys. Like, where you been? Get back out here, you know, and we miss you, whatever. I mean, you know, that kind of it, stuff. That's
2: <laughs> antithetical to where the term came from. The, the term came from the battalion. It came from, it was patterned off of a battalion executive officer oh. in the Army. Um, now, the term came from shaking the guys who try to weasel out of things. But Ah. it was patterned off the battalion executive officer, who is the angry old man in the battalion, because he gets to walk around and tell people what they're not doing and Uh that they should be doing it.
0: Got it. Get some knowledge there. Yeah.
1: See, I had a picture just of a guy like poking at the weasels, like through the cage, (laughs) like getting them riled up and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. But now we know the real origins of Weasel Shaker. I like it.
2: And I would say that it looks different from my level a little bit to the regional level. I've had sure. a lot of regional weeks of say, what should I do? And I, and I tell them, I said, you should one, you are married, you and your nantan are in marriage. Yeah. And just like, you know, there's strengths, there's weaknesses, you want to cover down for each other. I said, but you know, if, if you're married, right. Yeah. That's yeah. your every marriage. Um, and then, you know, you want to obviously systems, processes, make sure your systems and processes are in place. Uh, and that's key. Um, and then from there, you know, you, you want to manage the team. So you're the team manager, uh, mm-hmm. the SLT. And, and the, if you do those three things, it's going to look different at a regional level. Um, I, everything I do is virtual. Uh, you know, yeah. Zoom is, is, is my best friend. Yeah. But, you know, when you're, when you're at the region, it'll be um, more important. Yeah. You, you, you've seen each other. And we hope to have uh, sector weasel, weasel shakers eventually, so we'll see how that, uh, that pans out and how they look.
0: Yeah, and so here's a question for you. Um, you got all this military experience, leadership experience, um, and you've been part of F3 long enough to experience what F3 is all about, both at the regional level and the national level. Uh, what, what can we do better to accomplish the mission?
2: Of F3? Yeah, the
0: mission is to invigorate male community leadership. Is there anything with that we could do better?
2: So one of the things I would like to see personally is more collaboration um, between the regions. And, and that's why – one of the reasons why I push so hard for the sectors um, and and, and you know, Dark Helmet saw it as well. But it's there is this idea that the what the sectors can do for the regions is, is one – facilitate collaboration for larger things, things yeah. that exceed the regionals capabilities to they help the regions not have to learn everything themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of Nantans out there that would benefit from some coaching and the sector cues can help them that I, I you know, a lot of Nantans make the same mistakes. Uh, we're to a point where that doesn't have to happen. Now, some of those mistakes need to happen because it's about learning and growth and whatnot, but, You know, positive habit transfer is something in F3 where we believe that, uh, you know, an experienced leader should be able to teach uh, an inexperienced leader and thus, you know, maybe not make the same mistakes he made and make other mistakes. So, um, and we build upon that. And then this is an organization we kind of all lift together. So, Mm -hmm. I I would say more, uh, there's a lot of regions out there, about 50%. That's a total estimate. That are not engaged with their sectors, um, and I think to their detriment is my opinion. Yeah,
0: I think that's a, that's a good point. We had uh, so when we first started, we we're we're only a little over two years old. We uh, I planted the shovel flag here in 2020 May 2020, and about six months in or something like that, I thought, boy, it'd be good to get all the regions together for something. And I just picked Pennsylvania. We didn't have sectors at that time. So we created something called the Keystone Convergence. So we did it twice now. So uh, the last two summers we have a, just uh, basically starts Friday night, ends Saturday afternoon uh, convergence where there's a dinner and there's a overnight ruck and then a beat down for a few hours Saturday morning. And then there's a community project and we have a speaker talk to us about leadership. Um, my idea was to bring everybody together so we can at least start to network and brainstorm and talk to guys from other regions and that kind of stuff. Maybe we could build on that a little bit more. You know, we have this key... Now, but sectors are, you know, I think is a good idea, but they're still pretty big, right? I mean, I'm in the northeast region of the United States sector.
2: They are still sizable. They're, yeah. I mean, now, the west sector is by far the largest, geographically speaking. Right. Um, the, of course, the idea behind the sectors is just, you know, to be smaller, yeah. smaller than the nation. So, you I mean, you didn't have to... You know, that's where we went. Right. Uh, While well, still, you know, providing that, it's... <laughs> What happens is people want to communicate something. Yeah. But what they don't okay. understand is you can't, you want to build this communicate communication uh, between people, between regions, you know, you have a message that needs to be sent, but then you also have to have the, the infrastructures through which it passes upon. Mm-hmm. And so um, what we need to, what you want to do is you don't want to wait till a crisis to build your communication network. You want to build your communication network now, your pathways, and you want to burn them in just, you know, just like any, you know, like, like you're building new habits and neurons in your brain. Mm-hmm. You want to rehearse them and you want to practice them. Um, and then when you need it under stress, it works. People think, oh, I, it's the whole, you know, how do you practice a new skill? You don't practice till you get it right. You practice till you can't get it wrong. And so, and I've seen this many times. You take an army unit and you put them out in the field, and they go, "Oh, my comms don't work." And I'm like, "Yeah, your comms don't work because you've never used them before. Of course they don't work." <laughs> and you watch them fumble around, and they they don't they can't communicate. It's shoot, move, communicate. Mm-hmm. Those are the three basic skills in, in the army. But it's also the same. It's three basic skills in life. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot meaning your what is your skill? Okay, what is it you do? Communicate your ability to talk to each other, and then move is your your is basically your agility to react to stress and different things. And you have to practice those and you have to practice communication. And when you, when you have a virtual and or distributed organization such as we have communication becomes the vital thing. Um, You know, you look at, it's amazing how I go to people. I I travel occasionally. I'm like, you know, uh, and I don't care if people know who I am, I really don't, but you can tell the, the regions that aren't connected because they don't, they don't know who I am. They don't recognize my name. They don't know who dark helmet is. Right. Um, they've never heard of Q source. They don't know what a grow ruck is. Um, and they've never heard of the F3 accelerate campaign. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like, I know it's not for lack of being told. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not for lack of out there. Um, and you know, and then you kind of find, you know, they don't know that there's even a podcast channel. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and that's fine. That's kind of on one level the beauty of F3. It, sure. it really is.
0: Sure.
2: But on the other side, it's also what prevents us from mobilizing to mass effect for a cause if need be someday. Yeah. You know, if a hurricane or a, a, a disaster would have hit someplace, it is our ability to reach out and communicate and to mobilize resources that is our greatest asset.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. All right, uh, off that topic, uh, just a couple more questions and we'll let you go. First of all, if you had to pick somebody that you would say is your inspiration, your idol, your hero, it doesn't have to be somebody alive now, it could be somebody from the distant past or somebody you know, whatever, who would you pick?
2: Oh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, Um... There's a, I would say there's definitely a few military leaders that I've learned a lot from in writings. Um, General George C. Marshall, I, I've learned a lot from his, how he evaluated generals during World War II. Um, that definitely won there. Um, for those who don't know, he was basically the chief of staff, or the yeah, chief of staff of the army, but essentially functioned as the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff during World War II. And he hired and fired division commanders at will. Um, And um, uh, who else would I say? Um, I had a, I really, when I'm growing up, I like Douglas MacArthur, but then as I got older, I realized maybe he, he definitely had some weaknesses that, uh, you know, need to be discussed in there. Uh, (laughs) um, I don't know. I take, I definitely take Pieces here and there um as I go along um as I've gotten older I've um I would say my respect for my father has only grown
0: uh huh that's good yeah I love it yeah. when people pick their their dad or their mom I said yeah. this last podcast yeah yeah, yeah did that's good man um Last question: If you were, uh, and this is your chance. Sorry, this is your chance to speak to the men of America. What message do you have for the men of America?
2: Um, my wife is yapping in my ear. Shouldn't <laughs> say yapping. She's she, she's telling you you should like picked it. her. Are you done yet? <laughs> or why my did you tell him this? Yeah, my, no, my wife is incredibly uh, supportive of F three and the men, men around F three. Um. And it's probably uh, as much so responsible for what I've been able to do as anyone.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, the, what I see is a, uh, almost as a epidemic is the, the failure to just engage and get it done. I guess it's probably the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I'm heavily influenced, you know, going back to your last question, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I take time and I try to look at, you know, not just where I've come from personally, but where is my family come? And so um, there is a, and back, when I'm talking way back to the 1600s in my family history, um, a woman by the name of Penelope Stout. Wow. Okay. Lived in 1600s, um, she was uh, married to her first husband. Don't remember his last name. Um, they were shipwrecked when they came over to New Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our listeners New Amsterdam eventually became New York City. (laughs) Shipwrecked, um, found by local Native Indians, uh, killed him, scalped her, gutted her, left her for dead. She was found by another Native American who, um, two of them actually, Uh, One of them wanted to kill her, one wanted to keep her alive, so they got in a fight. Obviously, the guy who wanted to kill her died. Um, (laughs) They fought to death over her. (laughs) He he nursed her back to health. Two years later, she walked into New Amsterdam um, at, like, the age of 21. Um, And uh, she married a guy named Richard Stout, and she lived to be, like, 103. Wow. And. I mean, just, and it was said that she had more descendants in the New England. She like lived in Monmouth, Pennsylvania for a while. Uh-huh. You know, she was kind of called the mother of America for a while because she had so many living descendants. Wow. And she, you know, eventually uh, part of her line, they moved out west, um, you know, settled in Oregon. you know, my my great, I told you about my great grandfather, Benjamin Irving, married a stout woman. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, that's part of my, my heritage, you know, and I think about it is like, who, who is it? Who do we have? You know, it's that type of, um, mentality, you know, that it's going to take when things get difficult. And I think people just give up too easy at things. Um, you know, I, my, I jokingly say the gobbler challenge is there to solve, tiny heart syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is a joke, but it's also not a joke. Um, it's just, um, you know, I firmly believe that we are capable of so much more than what we limit ourselves to. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but I think we, you know, I watch, um, and it's, it goes into a lot, you know, my first wife was probably a, the antithetic, you know, to, I learned a lot from my first marriage, and we didn't really give in then. There's a lot there, but, you know, she was someone that just uh, stopped herself from, from accomplishing what she was capable of. And, and um, I, we just, we just need to be willing to endure mm. Um you know, for the, and we haven't talked about, you know, Christianity much and whatnot, but it's, it's very clear that we were not called to live an easy life. Right. Easy Mm -hmm. in the sense of comfortable Mm -hmm. and everything just being done for us. Like we're called to engage and struggle and to strive. And, um, you know, if you go through life and you think it's going to be "quote unquote" easy or comfortable? Then let me disappoint you today.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Okay, you need to get rid of that idea today, and then don't go another step forward. And I hear it. I hear it in F three. Oh, I can't do growth. It's too hard. Or, it's this. It's that. And it's not. It's not. There is not. It is not too hard. Um, and I I, I bite my tongue a lot of times. You know, because I, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But, you know, it it really is is not. Um, you know, and I, I, the things that I've, you know, I've subjected myself to ridiculous efforts at times. I rode my bike from here to Portland for no other reason than to say I could do it uh-huh. in one day. Um, and uh, it, if guys would just take you know, they grow ruck for, you know, this f three guys. So we'll, we'll focus on that. If guys would just do it, they go, well, I don't know if I can complete it. That's the point. Right, Right. That is the point. If, if you knew you could complete it, then it wouldn't do what it needs to do. You know, and, um, I, uh, my, my parents, I regularly will uh, talk to my mom or whatnot, and um, my dad is dying of Lewy body dementia. As two medical folks, you probably, yeah. probably grasp more what that means um, than others, uh, and it, it's a very difficult experience for my mom, and I'm not there with her, um, which is difficult for me. But I chose to come out here because my mom has three sons and my daughters have one father. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a hard choice. I don't care who you are. Like, it wasn't an easy choice, but it was the right choice. Yeah. I firmly believe it was the right choice. Yeah. And each and every day, um, you know, I, I have to, uh, you know, I, I engage and, and, and we try to. to try to raise my children, you know, my daughters, uh, in a a conflictual co-parenting relationship when I see that them struggling, uh, but you don't give up. Right. You, you stay engaged and you know, if more, if just the men in F3, you know, got it, it it would change the world. Mm -hmm. I I firmly believe that. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a great, great statement. Um, you know, I. You, you've gone through some tough times, and you're, and you but you're still doing it, and you're, and you're, you're sure. inspiring other guys. You're doing it through uh, your service, your example. But as Weasel Shaker, yes, you're doing it. Um. Sorry, I got distracted there by some noise, but <laughs> has some feedback from my own voice. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're doing it by inspiring other guys through through your example, through your Weasel Shaker, your gobbler Challenge, or you're doing this stuff. That's that's a really good message, man. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I really appreciate you. Uh, Uh, serve in our country and continue to do that. So thank you for that. And and for doing all that you do for the nation, for F3 Nation. And I I think you're right. I think, you know, I mean, obviously, F3 Nation is made up a bunch of guys, just like the church. Uh, Some people are going to be totally engaged and they're going to get it. Some people are going to be in and out. Some people aren't going to really engage. It's just the way life is. Um, But we keep growing, uh, not just in numbers, but hopefully as guys stay in it and they're growing as leaders, uh, that we're going to really impact the culture. So I think yeah. we, I think we're really on to something here. I think it's a grassroots movement that has just an incredible uh, potential, mm-hmm. you know, for good. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, and anyway, I appreciate that. I think we started the this episode talking about uh, Dial Up's daughter and the perseverance she had a show going through that. Your message to Met America, part of it was perseverance, to take yeah. responsibility, take initiative, and uh, and to persevere because things are not always easy. Yeah.
1: Not meant to be. It's not promised, right? Yeah. You don't you don't grow without adversity
0: don't grow unless you're uncomfortable right? That's right be comfortable being uncomfortable gobbler thank you so much man I really appreciate your time I know it's taken probably longer than you thought it would but uh, but I really appreciate it and uh, look look my, my man dial up will look
1: you up when he gets out there yeah definitely try and catch up to you at least uh, one day if Absolutely not more
2: I won't uh, publicly shame you if you don't, or maybe I will. Not sure. <laughs> no, you should. You, you have every
1: right
0: to. You definitely should. <laughs> yeah. No, Dial-Ups, he's, he's, he's a good guy. He's a, definitely a him. He'll be there.
1: Yep. All
2: right. I appreciate it. Look forward to meeting you. All,
1: All right. right. You too, man. God bless you, man. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.